Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can take them, turn them to Colossians chapter 3. And if you are a kid, you can be dismissed. If you're a BG kid, Colossians chapter 3. Sorry, Nicole, almost forgot that was a skin of my teeth situation there. Colossians chapter 3, we are looking at two verses of Scripture today. I'm really excited about it. Verses 16 through 17. This is the Word of Christ. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's the word of the Lord, the word of Christ. Let's pray and ask for His blessing as we study this this morning. God, thank You for Your word. God, thank you for speaking to us through your scriptures. And God, as we come this morning to your word, I pray that we can come in humble, with humble hearts, ready to receive from you. Build us up, Lord. Grow us as Christians. Grow us as we seek after you, God. We want to seek your face and we want to find you this morning. So God, I pray that you can use this passage of scripture to build us up, to, to cut our hearts, to, to bring us to repentance, but ultimately, Jesus, I pray that we can worship you and see you and behold the Lamb this morning. And that you can be glorified. And ultimately, God, I pray for your glory. And I pray that that happens through changing us and transforming us as a people to look more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever went on a hike while being... Out of shape. I have several times. So I know exactly what it feels like. When you're hiking out of shape, you're never bored. There is no time for boredom when you're walking up that mountain. But instead, you are in the fight of your life. Your lower back is tight. Your lungs are screaming, your glutes are burning, and that's 0.76 miles in. You say, how far have we gone? 0.76 miles, and, and it just dawns on you that this hike will never end. That's how it feels when you're hiking out of shape. You're going up LeConte, you know, it's six, seven miles, and you haven't hiked a mile yet, and you're already feeling it. It will Never end. It just keeps going and going and going. Being in Christ is similar to hiking while you're out of shape. What I mean by that is you should never be bored when you are a disciple of Jesus. Because when you're a disciple of Jesus, there are always areas of repentance and growth, stretching and discomfort. If you're truly following after Jesus, your lungs are going to be screaming, your lower back is going to be tight, and your glutes, spiritually, are going to be burning. And today, in this passage, these two verses, it gives us two specific ways 
that God's word is going to challenge us all to grow, to stretch ourselves, to keep hiking up that mountain as we're pursuing and following after Christ. Okay, so this is going to be just all of us growing together, all of us pushing, and uh, I think God's going to use it to transform us to look more like his son. So I have two points this morning. Number one, let the word move in. Number two, let the name move you. Let the word move in and let the name move you. Number one, let the word move in. This is verse 16. Let's read it again. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the passage starts with a command. The command is to let. You see that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ means the word from the Messiah and the word about the Messiah. Sufficiently contained within the Bible that we hold in our hands this morning. Right here, this is the Word of Christ. We saw in chapter 2, verse 5, that in Jesus... Uh, I'm sorry, ver, um, 2, verse... Uh, where is it at? Uh, verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Then we see in chapter 2, verse 17, that Paul says the Old Testament was a shadow of... Of Christ. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and in Jesus is the reality and substance of the Old Testament. So truly, the whole Bible, both Testaments, can be called the Word of Christ. Jesus claimed this for himself in Luke 24, 44, which says, this is Jesus, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, not me, Jesus, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying what's written in the law of Moses was about me. What's written in the prophets and the Psalms were about me and they, they are being fulfilled through me and my ministry. Here in the immediate context, Colossians 3.16, the word of Christ is described with Psalms. So the Psalms, the Old Testament Psalms, according to Paul, are the word of Christ. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is truly the word of Christ. Meaning, first of all, it's the word from Christ, that the entire Bible is the message from Jesus himself, which is a stunning claim. But also, the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is the word of Christ, which means it's all about Jesus. So this book, is all from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and is all about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we are supposed to, here's the command, verse 16, we are supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It doesn't say just to glance at the word every once in a while. It doesn't tell us to be vaguely familiar with the word, but we are supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, to dwell means to take up residence. That's why I'm saying to let the word move in to your heart. To let it move into your mind. To let the word move into your life. The word of Christ needs to make its home in our hearts and change the way we live. And notice here it's supposed to dwell in us 
richly. You see that? Not, it, it, not just to visit, not just to dwell, but to dwell in you richly, which shows the depth of the dwelling. It's supposed to be rich. It also shows the variety of the dwelling, that the word should be dwelling in you in various ways. Ultimately, I think this means that the word should be dominant in your life. The word should dominantly dwell within you. But so often, the word can just shallowly pop into our lives. Right? It just comes and goes. We vaguely know it. We don't study it. We don't meditate. We don't memorize. We, we, we push it to the, to the fringes of our lives. But here, Paul is telling us to let the word of Christ dominate our lives. To let the Bible, the truths of Scripture, dwell in us richly. Think about the difference between having me over for dinner and having me move in. Think about the differences there. If you're having me over for dinner, it's a small commitment. doesn't cost too much. There's little preparation, but really there's no abiding difference. You just have me over for an hour or two, bear it, and it's over. Right? That's how we can often treat our Word of Christ. It's just very, very little preparation, very little cost, and very little abiding difference. But instead, we are called to let the Word move in. Think about what it would cost you to have me move in. It would be a large commitment. It would be costly. You would have to get everything ready. It would change everything about how you live your life. So Paul's telling us here to not just have the Word over for dinner to not just let it be shallowly affecting our lives, but to let the Word move in, to let the Word dwell in us richly. How do we do this? Three ways I want to talk about to let the Word dwell in us richly. Individually, corporately, and musically. Number one, individually. I want to challenge you, based on this verse right here, to go deep in the Word every day. You need to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I was reading this week, um, one of my old professors, Donald Whitney, said, No factor is more influential in making us more like the Son of God than the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. I want to encourage you to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly by taking the next step in your Bible reading. And I don't know what your next step is, but every single person in here has a next step. You can go deeper. You can go from reading rarely to reading daily. You can go from reading small portions to reading larger portions. You can go from merely reading the Scripture to deeper meditation on Scripture. You can move from deep meditation on Scripture to memorizing Scripture. You can go from memorizing Scripture to deeper obedience of Scripture. You can go from deeper obedience to Scripture to more sharing the truths of Scripture to others. Every single one of us here can allow the Word of Christ to dwell more deeply in us. I know it's hard. I know life can get difficult, life can get busy. But you can discipline yourself in this pursuit. And I promise you, based on the Word of God, it will pay off. As Donald Whitney said, no factor is more influential in making us more like the Son of God than the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. So the question is, are you letting 
the word of Christ dwell in you richly? And what next step can you take to go further up that mountain? I know your schedule's packed. I know your, your spiritual lungs will be screaming. But you can do it. You can take the next step. And I encourage you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All of us can take that next step. However, number two, corporately, I want to talk about this. When it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that you in that phrase is in the second person plural. To make it simple for us all, a better translation might be, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all. Okay, let, the, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all. That y'all makes you a better Bible reader, I promise. Not just let the Word of Christ dwell in you individually, but let the Word of Christ dwell in y'all. You all, if you're not from here, okay? It's in the plural, is what I'm saying. So in context, Paul isn't directly commanding us to read our Bibles more independently. Even though I do think that's a proper implication and application of the text. But to, to truly fulfill what Paul's saying here, this is something that we do together as a church. We let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. You see that? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you all. The way we do that, look at the text, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is very, very similar to chapter 1, verse 28, if you remember, where it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Right there is 128. And then here it says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So there it is again. We talked about, this was months ago, I guess now, but teaching is the more positive sense of the word. Admonishing is the more negative sense of the word. Here's what to believe. Here's what not to believe. But they're supposed to do it in all wisdom, which means doing it in the most effective way. But also, since we know Christ is the source of all wisdom, it means doing it Christocentrically, in a sense, that, that all wisdom is wrapped up in Christ. So if we're going to teach and admonish in all wisdom, it's going to have to be centered around who Jesus is. You see, that's why we've got to be Christ-centered in our teaching. Now, first, this is why the Word of Christ holds such a central part in our worship. We read Scripture to start our service. We pray Scripture. We preach Scripture. Because we come here to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. And I pray you walk away from here with the Word of Christ richly dwelling in you. And that is truly my main job, I believe, is to teach and to admonish us all and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. But notice here, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So this is my main job, but it is not just my job. Do you see that? But it is our job. We are called to teach and admonish one another so that the word of Christ dwells in us richly. This happens in our small groups and through our women's ministries and men's ministries, through our personal conversations. We need to be constantly teaching and admonishing one another with the word of Christ. So every single person in here, here's my question to you. Are you making the word of Christ dwell in others richly? Because that is your responsibility as well as a Christ follower. Is you are not just called to get in the Word every day and have your coffee and, and do your study and let that be all, but you are also called to push the Word of Christ into others' lives. You are supposed to be the cause of the Word of Christ dwelling in others more richly. That's what we're called to do. 
And finally here we see this happens musically. See, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it's hard to tell whether singing is the way we let the word of Christ dwell in us or whether singing is the way we teach and admonish each other. And I'm probably the only person who would ask that question of which one that means, right? But I think there is truth to both of them, and obviously they're pretty similar. But ultimately, do you see the importance of singing? That singing is not, what we do in this room when we sing, it's not just an emotional thing. And what we do when we're singing here is it's not just for the musical people. So it's not like we have part of the service for more of the artsy people and then the sermon comes and that's for more of the brainiacs. And it's like, okay, everybody's happy and we can all leave. That's not what's happening here. But we are called to sing and that's the method through which we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And that's the method in which we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom is through our songs. So here at Beech Grove, we aren't just going to sing songs that we like or songs that make us feel good, but we are going to sing songs that allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And that has to be the standard for our worship. So what I'm saying is don't come in here like your Simon Cowell, okay? Where you sit down and you're like, I cannot wait to see what these songs are. Nope, didn't like that one. She was a little flat on that song, wasn't she? I don't know about him raising his hand during that part of the song. Maybe he should... I, I know we can be that way in, in worship so often. As we, we take it as we sit in the pews and we, we judge and, we, and we, we see if we like it or not or if it affects us or not. But instead, we need to come in like the Bereans in Acts 17.11 where it says they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we need to be taking these songs, whatever they are, whether it's in a style you like or a style you don't like, and we need to say, is the word of Christ dwelling in me richly through this song? Oh, and if it is, you can sing that song and rejoice and teach and admonish others through it. I, I heard one person say once, if you want to know a church's theology, look at the songs they sing. It is so important because songs teach us doctrine. Songs cause the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. I think about that song we sang last week um, based upon Psalm 62. And we were singing it, and it says, You're my solid rock and my salvation, my steadfast hope that won't be shaken. My soul will wait for you. When we sing that, we are letting the, the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It sits in our hearts. It changes who we are. So we're supposed to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, they basically mean the same thing. Psalms here means exactly what you think. Think about Old Testament psalms. Hymns. When Paul says hymns there, he means the old rugged cross. That's what he meant. I'm just kidding. Uh, but he means religious songs of praise to God. And then finally, spiritual songs could be translated songs of the Spirit. When you see Spirit here, think Holy Spirit. Songs inspired by the Holy Spirit. The big takeaway here for all of us, Christian, you are called to sing. You see that? Singing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm a musical person, so it comes easy to me. But I've experienced my whole entire life people who won't sing and worship because they're not musical 
or they don't think they sound good, or they just don't want to, or they don't like the style, or maybe they think they're above it. Listen, the call to sing is not based upon you, or your ability, or your personality. The call to sing is based on what God has done for you. Look at the text here where it says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, the determining factor for singing is not your ability or your talent or your personality, but the determining factor for singing is whether or not you have something to thank God for. And if you have something to thank God for, it's time to sing because that's what God has commanded from us. And I want to remind you, if you don't think you have anything to thank God for, if you're a Christian in this room, you are spiritually damned and dead in your sins and you are going to go to hell for all eternity, but God has made you alive in Christ Jesus, has declared you to be righteous in His sight, has adopted you into His family, has given you the gift of eternal life, and no one can take it away. Christian, you can sing. And the reason you can sing is not due to your beautiful voice, but due to the beautiful grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've been given that, you have a song to sing. And we sing out of thankfulness to God. And notice here at the end of verse 17, it says, giving thanks to God the Father through Him in context. So through Him is the Lord Jesus, which means through the gospel we have access to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And we can thank God personally um, and go right into His presence with songs because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, Christian, we have to sing. And hey, we also sing for each other. We sing to thank God and to worship God, but we also sing as a testimony for the people in this room. It's a means through which we let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. When we sing corporately in a setting like this, we are teaching and admonishing one another. We are reminding people of the gospel. If a visitor, if a first-time guest comes in and sees you ignoring worship, what does that say? If one of us is struggling with doubt in this room and sees some people talking all throughout worship, what does that say? But oh, if we gather 150 strong and pour everything we've got in song and thanksgiving to God, that preaches a message. That is teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That is saying that God is glorious, that God is worthy, that there's something to be thankful for, that God is present. That's what our singing does. So yes, sing in thankfulness to God, let it be vertical, but remember that our singing is a way to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, to teach and admonish others that God is worthy to be praised. This means that the measure of successful worship is not how dynamic the band sounds. Successful worship is not the how emotional the songs make you, the measure of worship is are we glorifying God by letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly through biblical songs and congregational singing? Are we lifting our voices together to thank God for what he's done? And yes, we want the band to be dynamic, and they do a great job, and we want, we want to honor God um, with, with excellence, but ultimately, we want to take the truths of Scripture and dwell on them together as we sing songs to God. Um, next point, 
Colossians 2.17. So we let the word move in, and now we're going to let the name move you. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul starts off this verse with all-inclusive language. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. Do you see that? I mean, it's, Paul is making sure we get it, that he is making a claim on literally everything we do. Every single thing is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see that? I mean, what's, what's excluded here? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of the Lord is used a ton in the Old Testament. So it's interesting here that Paul uses in the name of the Lord to talk about in the name of the Lord Jesus. Showing the high Christology that Paul has in this letter. The name of the Lord represents who God is. Especially his sovereign presence. And basically if you're doing it in the name of the Lord, you're doing it in God's presence. The name of the Lord is God himself. So if you are supposed to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, that means you are supposed to do everything in the sovereign presence of the Lord Jesus. Every single thing you do must be influenced by the fact that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is present. Think about that. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In everything we do, Jesus is Lord Jesus is present. So think about how that affects the way we sing. Think about the way that affects the way we worship. Think about how that affects the way we read our Bibles and the way we go to church and the way we we talk in Sunday school. But not only that, but Jesus is Lord and Jesus is present. When he says, do everything in the name of the Lord, he's talking about the way we drive and the way we think about science. And in the way we eat, the way we spend our money, the way we talk to our spouse, and what we look at on the internet, in the way we plan our future, in the things we listen to and watch, in the way we form our political views, in how we spend our free time. Jesus is not satisfied with being Lord over your theology and being present on Sundays. No. Everything must be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see that? He doesn't say uh, in verse 17... And whatever you do on Sundays, in word or deed, do everything in your quiet time in the name of the Lord Jesus. No. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the question is, this morning, what are you doing outside of the name of the Lord Jesus? Where do you need to submit to Jesus' lordship? Where is the name of Jesus not moving you? What do you think has nothing to do with Jesus? Because this one verse, just these couple words, shows us that every single little thing in our life has to do with Jesus. There is nothing irrelevant. There is nothing that Jesus doesn't want. There's nothing that Jesus doesn't claim lordship over. Where is the name of Jesus not moving you? It's easy to think of the negative aspect of this, but I also want to point out that this, this is a huge, beautiful calling 
that if everything is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, that means that everything you do is packed with significance and meaning and purpose because ultimately it's done in the presence of Jesus. It's done for the glory of Jesus. That means there's nothing irrelevant. There's nothing meaningless. There's nothing stupid and not worth your time. But instead, we are called to do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, which means that your job matters to Jesus. Your marriage matters to Jesus. Your hobbies matter to Jesus. Your vacation matters to Jesus. Your 401k matters to Jesus. Your life matters to Jesus. Not only that, but your job, your marriage, your hobbies, your vacations, your retirement, your life is for Jesus. That's why we exist. And that's what we're going to talk about the next two weeks. So we talk about our family life under the lordship of Jesus and our work life under the lordship of Jesus and Jesus has something to say about every single area of our life because as it says in Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him. So I want to challenge you. We are called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and to reflect on what do I think doesn't matter to Jesus? Do I think Friday nights don't matter? Do I think my mornings don't matter? I, w- I want to encourage you that Jesus claims it all. In conclusion, I want you to think about, I've experienced one of these in my life. I'm going to experience another one next week, a Beach Grove potluck lunch. Truly, we had one in our honor a couple weeks ago, and it was a beautiful thing. But we often think about our lives like a potluck. Stay with me. Some of us, just want a side of Jesus. We don't want to be too serious. We don't want to be radical. But we do want a little of Jesus on our plates. We want to think about Jesus like our deviled eggs. We like deviled eggs. right? We're all about deviled eggs. But we want just a, a small portion of our plate dedicated to the deviled eggs. We want to get just enough Jesus on our plate so that we can get to heaven and then we can fill up the rest of our plate with whatever we want. That's how we typically think. Now some of us know that is completely wrong and that we need Jesus to be the main dish of our lives. We want Jesus to be the fried chicken. So we fill up our plate mainly with Jesus Right? we got a lot of fried chicken on there, and then everything else is just extra add-ons. We can do whatever we want with that, the rest of the plate. But this passage shows us that even that is the wrong perspective. So often we think if Jesus is just the main dish, we're doing really good. And we can fill up half the dish with Jesus, and then we can do whatever we want with here on the side, and that's perfect. That's biblical Christianity, but it's not. True biblical Christianity is when Jesus is the plate itself. Where Jesus is the foundation. Where the Lord Jesus is the basis on which you do everything in life. So every single bit of your life is placed upon the Lordship of Christ and built upon that foundation. He's not a part of your plate, but He's the foundation for everything. Where everything you do is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has, he has authority over every single part of your life. He is the determining factor for every single thing about the way you treat people, the way you act at work, the way you treat your family, every single bit, the way you spend your money, the way you watch sports, every single thing. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
He isn't a small part of your life. He's not happy with being a large part of your life or even the main part of your life. But biblical Christianity is where Christ is your life. And everything is done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, are you doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? I think a better question to ask is, what aspect of your life are you not actively submitting to His Lordship? And I really truly believe that all of us should, should have, a, have a, an ability here, a chance to look and repent and confess and give something to the Lord. What part of your life do you just consider irrelevant to Jesus that you don't think He cares about? What portion of your life do you keep separate from Him? Let's repent today. Let's confess and repent and, and submit. Maybe an area of our life that we've never even considered. to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who's present and sovereign over every moment. Maybe in this room, Christ is not your life at all. He is not your plate. He is not your main dish. He is not even on the side. Jesus is not king and he is not your Lord. I am calling you to submit your life to Him today. That you can confess your sins, the conviction you're feeling right now, you can confess that to Jesus, you can repent from that, you can forsake your sin, and you can place your faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ. He has lived the perfect life that you should have lived, He has died the death on the cross that you should have died, and He is alive today because three days after His death, He rose again to newness of life, and He is living and able to forgive you of your sins even in this moment. So I encourage you, if you look at this text and you say, I don't read my Bible, I don't sing, I don't do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm not thankful, confess that to Jesus and you'll find forgiveness. And you'll find the power to transform your life. But if you do know Christ, here's two ways to keep walking up the mountain. I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but discipleship is taking up our cross, following after Jesus. So let's repent and pursue him today. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray we do everything in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for next steps in this room. God, push us deeper, further in to your word. I don't know what that looks like, God, but I pray that we can be obedient. God, help us be a congregation that teaches and admonishes one another. God, I pray that our conversations won't just be um, surface level, that they won't just be um, about sports and the news. And, but God, I pray that we can let the word of Christ dwell in others richly through how we share. God, that we can be a church that shares scripture, that presses scripture on other people. God, that encourages people with scripture. That is constantly putting scripture in front of our, each other's faces. God, help us be that community, that church. God, I pray that you can help us grow in our singing. God, I thank you for biblical rich songs that we sing here. God, I pray that we can sing with greater vigor, with greater passion. God, that, that we can be a loud congregation as we gather together to sing your praises with thankfulness in our hearts to, to you. Uh, ultimately, God, we want to do everything in your sovereign presence. Everything. God, I pray that we can Holy Spirit, that you can draw to our minds areas in our lives that we are leaving you out of. Show us the folly of that. Show us the sin of that. 
God, I pray that this can be a time of confession and repentance as we just anew give you every single part of our hearts and lives. And God, I pray that we can go off into our workplaces and our schools and our friend groups and in our, in our hobbies and we can do everything in your name, Jesus. And in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.